the Cell Phone Junkie Podcast, episode 257 for May 1st, 2011. More talk about location tracking, Verizon goes commando, and video chatting competition starts to heat up. My name is Mickey Papillon. And I'm Joy Coppice. Brought to you each week with the help of listeners like you, subscribers to The Cell Phone Junkie Unlocked. More information at thecellphonejunkie.com. The show is also supported by The Cell Phone Junkie podcast application, available now for Android and the iOS for $1.99. Well, first this week, the Ministry of Industry and Information Technology in China listed information about the number of mobile users in the country. Through the end of March, 889 million Chinese people are now using mobile handsets, an increase of 30 million or 3.5% from the end of 2010. As PC World notes, India is fast approaching with nearly 800 million users, a 15% increase over the first half of 2010. For perspective, both countries have nearly tripled the number of phone users as the U.S., which clicked in at 303 million last year. The FCC Tuesday held a workshop to explore an issue of 700 megahertz interoperability. Representatives from Verizon and AT&T argued during the session that mandating the ability for their new LTE systems to work with those of smaller carriers would create larger devices and cost them more on back-end equipment. Cellular South and U.S. Cellular say customers will suffer from more expensive devices and no way to roam if a measure isn't approved. Now, in the 700 megahertz spectrum, there are three main bands. Those include Verizon's C block, which is class 13, AT&T's C and B blocks, which is class 17, and the smaller carriers A, B, and C blocks, which are all classified as class 12. Now, this, you know, this is a great idea. Okay, let's force some interoperability. But when it becomes a, a burden with different equipment and extra bands and all this stuff, okay, FCC, you're way too late. If you, this was going to be a requirement, they should have done this before they sold these blocks of spectrum and required that as a term of the sale of the of the spectrum. And now to go back later and say, oh, sorry, just kidding. You're going to need to do all this other stuff now that you've owned the spectrum and planning on building out your networks on this. Uh, it, too late. Uh, you know, you should have thought of this sooner. Um, do it the next time around. I mean, really, I mean, I, I'm all for, you know, having roaming agreements, but this, this is ridiculous. Well, here's something interesting. Chipmaker Qualcomm said that it would be creating one chipset to support band 12 and argues that its chips can only support two bands per chip below one gigahertz in speed. Uh, also, they can only support three bands above one gigahertz. So, they say supporting all three bands, including the Class 13, Class 17, and Class 12, would be incredibly complicated and will take years to develop. So there's uh, no word yet on what sort of decision is going to be made with this. But uh, overall, it sounds like just a mess. And, you know, we talked about this probably about a year ago when we first really got into our, you know, conversation and exploratory nature of LTE. And we said, this is not going to be as as open and shut as we think we want it to be where it's just everybody moves to LTE and everybody can use any phone that they want. There's a lot more that goes into it than that. Yeah. And, and, and a big part of it is the, 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 the spectrum here, the frequency that the carriers happen to end up with at these auctions. And it, it, we're, we're moving away from interoperability, you know, the days of the swapping your, G, you know, GSM SIM card into the next uh, thing, even though LTE has SIM slots, it's meaningless because the device is built for one particular network. It's going to be an interesting road with LTE. Uh, we're going to have devices that work on one carrier or maybe two carriers for a long time coming here. And uh, we'll just see what happens if the FCC can have any say in what they decide to do. 
in in my opinion is we're going to have like a Verizon phone for example a Verizon LTE phones they're they're going to have roaming capability but only for their international global roaming partners where they're going to sell a device you know here's your LTE phone that you can take and and roam globally and have high speed data but that's it i mean they they have got no incentive to do it you know domestically isn't that exactly what the carrier wants though is to have a device that only works on their network here and can make them money when it goes overseas absolutely so I don't see any reason why they wouldn't or would want to make it, you know, the other way. It's it's a consumer thing. Now the FCC obviously has the the the, the thoughts and of consumers in their their minds here with this, but I, I'm not sure that they're going to be able to do it. At least it doesn't sound like this is going to be something for the first few years of the technology that uh, is going to be uh, coming. So we'll have to see what happens with that. Well, Apple on Wednesday issued a statement discussing concerns over iOS tracking users on specific versions of the iPhone and iPad. Apple says they are not tracking users individually and that the issue that's come up will be addressed in a software update over the next few weeks. The information was released in the form of a question and answer document revealing that the device is not logging your location. Rather, it's maintaining a database of Wi-Fi hotspots and cell towers around your current location to help the iPhone accurately and rapidly calculate its location. Now, if I if I take this as, you know, what they're saying, that they are not logging your location, but they're maintaining a database, to me, that really means the same thing. They're just not using the data in how we think of logging. It's not like they're taking the, 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 the database of places that you have gone, uploading it to themselves, and using it for some sort of purpose like advertising or whatnot. Uh, but really, it is the same thing. They are, they're keeping, the phone is keeping track of your location. You know, that is, and, and, and you're right. But, but it makes a big difference, however, the, you know, that little detail. I mean, it's still, still the exact same data. But the real question is, okay, so Apple's not using it right now, but what if next week they decide they want to use it? I mean, there's nothing stopping them from so, from doing that. So still, that the fact that it's recording it, 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 it it's okay. But, but again, like we said last week, that your carrier is still recording every place you've gone, and your phone internally can still record every place uh, you've gone. So it, it's kind of a moot point, really. I mean, once you've signed up to have a cell phone in general, even if it doesn't have a GPS chip, I mean, your location is being tracked by someone and probably by multiple parties, depending on which smartphone you have. Uh, it just it really varies. And of course, which applications you're running, like if you gave Pandora access to your GPS, which it requests, uh, you're giving Pandora wherever you're at. So that's I mean, it's kind of the, the world we live in here to go a little bit more into this for those that do not have an iPhone or have not uh, tried to run this piece of software that shows you all of that location information. I did. And and what this does, it pulls up a map that shows you, of course, areas that you are. Now, you can dig down into it and you don't actually see very specific locations, though you get a whole map of dots that shows you pieces of information or approximations of where you are. And if you go down to the lowest level of what it's tracking, it's almost showing a grid pattern. And I, I can't tell you exactly how close the dots are, but they seem to be, you know, a few hundred yards uh, or maybe a hundred yards apart. And um, for places that you spend have spent a lot of time, it's going to show you almost an entire screen of dots, you know, a hundred yards apart or something like that. And so that's how the overall map can tell 
uh, when, when it's zoomed out where you're spending most of your time is because you've got a lot of dots there. Now, there's another thing that people have mentioned. That's that when you turn off location services, the iPhone still continues to update its Wi-Fi and cell tower data uh, and also then puts it in this, this database so that when you're going places, it knows where you are. Apple says that it should not be doing that, that that is a bug and that they will be uh, planning to fix that shortly. Um, it, it's, it's something where obviously the phone itself needs to know where it is so the network can route calls to it, of course. But um, th- this seems to have gone a little bit too far. Yeah, and, and, and the bug that they're probably going to fix is just make this file invisible so nobody can use it or see it. Um, I, it's still going to be there. I, I, I could almost guarantee it because I'm sure 99% of the services on the phone uses that file, especially like Google Maps, for example. I mean, even though my old Centro didn't have uh, a GPS in it, it could find my location based on cell tower lookup information that would go back to Google and find it. But still, that was telling Google my cell tower ID and then, you know, Google would come back and say, oh, this is where you're probably at. And it's, I mean, it's already, it's already being done. Whenever you launch Google Maps, it knows where you're at. It sends it to Google because it has to figure out the location of where you're going. So, I mean, if you ever use Google Maps, you're telling them exactly where you're at and exactly where you're going. Uh, it, it's not a secret. It really isn't. So you mentioned that the file may be invisible, and it may be invisible or it may be encrypted, um, and it's also going to be smaller because, of course, people are saying this is identifying uh, every every place that they've been since they upgraded to iOS 4, which is nearly a year now since since iOS 4 came out. And they think, Apple, that is, that the iOS does not need to store more than seven days of data. So what you can anticipate here in the future is uh, this this file is either going to be, uh, like, like Joey mentions, invisible or possibly encrypted. But what we do know is that they're planning to make it seven days of data or less. So we'll uh, we'll see how that all plays out. But kind of an interesting one here that uh, that was, again, on the top of the news for many, many places this week. And of course, good to see that Apple came out with a statement finally. I think they were a little bit late with that, but of course, got all the questions that most people had answered. Now, TomTom had came, uh, it didn't actually come out, but was reported on this week by CNET that uh, they are sending your routes and speed information off to the police. So it appears that it's not just cell phones that are doing this, but TomTom's live range feature built into their 3D data cards and their devices that they have is taking the route information that you're traveling and sending the routes and the speeds back to a central server, which is then given over to local governments and authorities when requested. Now, of course, this information can be used used to help police create things like speed traps or used to place speed cameras, also identifying dangerous locations where people are, are going too fast, and then they can you know, pl- you know, do different things, implement different strategies to hopefully help curb that behavior. Uh, I'm not sure that I agree with uh, things like tracking people you know, and tracking their information and, and sending the things that they are assuming is private information off. Uh, but in this case, I'm actually relatively okay with this because I think the greater good of what this story is saying is that that we are police are hopefully going to be able to use this information in a positive way. Now, I, I I'm not I'm not saying that I'm a fan of speed traps. Don't 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 think that that's what I'm saying. But <laughs> yeah, you like to yeah, be, I, uh, yeah you I like, like getting speeding tickets. No, that's, that's not right. what I'm saying. That's what I'm right. saying is I'm all for safety, and I think it's great that they're taking a look at places that they've identified that people are going too fast or going above the posted speed limit, and they can do things to curb that. 
Well, and you know, it's it's an interesting uh, story. I, I kind of brought this one to your attention because it's uh, something that's uh, another use of the three G data. We've got uh, you know we've got GPSs with them built in, and this is what they do. They 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 collect your data and send them to their servers. In uh, of course, it's not hard for you know a police department in a city to go down particular roads and figure out where a fast road is. I mean, they can do that easily. They've got radar guns. They have no problem sitting you know in one spot for an hour to see that this is a fast stretch of road it's it's kind of a non you know it's not a real big issue but also if you do have a top time you can opt out of this uh when you sign up for that data you can actually uh choose not to submit your data to them to put in their database so just a note if you do have one of those gps's yeah it's i mean i don't know like i said i'm not I'm not totally against this, though. I think it. I think it kind of makes sense. You know, it's it's one of those you know things for the greater good. Uh, and uh, I don't know. We'll see if any of the other carriers or not carriers, but uh, manufacturers of, of sat nav devices come out with any uh, any stories that that show they are doing similar things. Because my guess is that they are. Well, and, and, you know, they don't have to provide the speed data to the to the government. But, you know, really, over a course of, you know, thousands of users driving over the same spot, I mean, it, it kind of just doesn't make that much difference when you've got that kind of data, especially if it's if it is uh, anonymized. Um, but of course, you know, the real benefit to all the users of these services is that they've got, you know, real time route information that can help you get to someplace faster because they can route you around traffic difficulties. And of course, that's what the whole you know point of the system is. Yeah, exactly. And I, I th- this is just happens to be a, a side effect of that. And, uh, you know, so uh, certainly a, a controversial topic, nonetheless. Well, Motorola Mobility on Thursday revealed the company's Q1 earnings reporting $3 billion in net revenues, up 22% from a year ago. The report also reveals 9.3 million mobile devices have been sold. Broken down, that's 5 million feature phones and 4.1 million smartphones and also 250,000 Zoom tablets. During the earnings call, CEO Sanjay Jha also announced the Zoom LTE upgrade has been delayed. The update, anticipated for some time this quarter, has now been pushed back a few months due to an unspecified issue. Now, 250,000 Zoom tablets to me actually sounds like a pretty respectable number. Uh, it's certainly not the millions of tablets that Apple has sold, but I think Motorola hopefully is okay with this. You know, this is their first foray into the world of making tablets, and so I, I have to imagine that over the first couple of months, 250,000 tablets is not a bad number. No, not really. And of course, it's the first the honeycomb, you know, kind of the true tablet OS. It's, you know, the guinea pig for that particular flavor of the Android operating system. And, you know, the, the Galaxy Tab has been out for quite some time, but that's running a regular smartphone version. And it's a, a much smaller device. I mean, you can barely call that a tablet. Uh, it's it's kind of on that edge of where, you know, it's just a large smartphone size or iPod touch size device. But it's uh, not too bad. I mean, that still represents millions of dollars of uh, revenue. Um, and of course that, uh, LTE upgrade, I, I mean, that's extremely disappointing because, you know, they sold it as a 4g tablet. This is, this has gone on way too long. It's really not, not, not good at all. Yeah. I, I feel this way about the, the playbook as well with the devices that, you know, they announced that they were getting 4g specific playbooks as well. And, and we're just seeing Wi-Fi come out here first, but you know, in Motorola's defense, you know, obviously LTE is a new technology. And HTC has, uh, you know, suffered a little bit with their release of the Thunderbolt. And so uh, hopefully Motorola can uh, make it a little bit more stable, a little bit more battery efficient and, and make things just overall a general better experience for the consumer when they finally do get the upgrade pushed out. 
Well, and and they really should have sold it as a 3G tablet and left out any sort of word of upgradability to this uh, until they got it done. And then all of a sudden surprised the users. Guess what? You can upgrade your Zoom to 4G now. And it would be it would be great press for them at that time. It would make the users extremely happy. But instead, they sell they 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 sell you something that actually it doesn't do and then delay it for months and months and months. It's not a good strategy to do. Yeah, no, it, it certainly isn't. I, I'm not a, um, certainly not a fan of, uh, you know, we saw this in January, talking about it being 4G, you know, and that was at that point, uh, you know, we kind of joked about it, you know, oh, no micro SD support, no LTE out of the box. Uh, you know, I don't remember what else it didn't come with. No screen. No, it came with the screen. We got the screen, right? Yeah, we Joey, did. We, get, yeah, we at the last screen. minute, they decided to add the screen. Put in a screen, so that was good. But just in general, yeah, this, this would have been a much more... Uh, you know, palatable thing if we would have heard you know, this is a 3G device and then heard, oh, we're going to do an upgrade. Oh, we're going to push that upgrade off a little bit. But to say it's a 4G tablet and, you know, tout it from the very beginning as it's 4G eventually, it, it, that doesn't sit well. We mentioned HTC. They also reported Q1 earn, earnings this week. They shipped 9.7 million units during the quarter. That's up 6% from the previous quarter. Also, 192% increase in the fir- from the first quarter uh, of last year. Revenues were up to 0.1% from the previous quarter and 174% over last year. The company expects 11 million units to ship in the upcoming quarter. The IDC on Friday stated that the mobile phone market has grown nearly 20% over the past year, smartphones, of course, being the biggest driver. The group represents uh, reports that the growth is mainly in Africa, Asia, and the Middle East, along with Latin America, with a total of 371.8 million phones shipped in the three-month period, or 4 million phones each day being sold around the world. Nokia is still on top with over 100 million units shipped during the quarter, while Apple is the fastest growing, with a 115% increase over last year, jumping to the number four spot worldwide. Verizon this week announced it would be extending its free LTE hotspot promotion to users of the HTC Thunderbolt. Originally scheduled to end on May 15th, the free uncapped tethering feature that comes with the $30 smartphone plan will be available indefinitely, though Verizon did not provide any details about how long it would be going. Verizon Wireless also on Thursday began offering a new unlimited service branded Verizon Unleashed that offers prepaid unlimited voice, text, and data for $50 a month. The service will compete head-to-head with Boost Mobile, MetroPCS, and Cricket Wireless. Hardware choices include three feature phones, a clamshell LG device for $40, a slide-out QWERTY LG device for $99, and a QWERTY Pantech device for $80. Users can also choose per day and per minute pricing with the plans. Uh, Those options include unlimited voice for $2 a day and two cent texts and unlimited web browsing for $1 a day or unlimited Verizon calling for 99 cents a day and calling to other numbers costing 10 cents per minute. Text will then cost 10 cents per message and mobile web browsing will cost a dollar a day. Currently, the service is not really being advertised, though if you can he- you head over to verizonwireless.com slash unleashed, you'll see all the information about the plans and devices. Of course, Verizon last year tested out the $50 prepaid monthly unlimited plan across 11 states in the southeast. LTE subscribers for Verizon on Tuesday reported that their high-speed network was down in many parts of the country. Verizon on Wednesday confirmed the issue, saying that our 4G LTE customers have been experiencing connection issues to the LG network, though no timeline was initially given for restoration. The service gradually started coming back online for users on Wednesday evening, though some still reported the outage as late as Thursday morning. Verizon spokesperson Jeffrey Nelson said midday on Thursday, the network engineer 
engineers and vendors quickly identified the issue and solved it, and customers using the Thunderbolt should have normal service. This was the first widespread outage for the six-month-old network. And you'd, you'd said it was the LG network, but it obviously has other vendors in there for the, uh, for the network. But it was kind of strange how slow the information from Verizon was on this, and, and it's uh, pretty amazing that it took the entire network down. So obviously they don't have it uh, localized by region, which a lot of the other services are. So it gives you one indication that it is kind of a, uh, a single network unified and, and they route everything through, you know, one particular center, which goes to show that they're trying to save money building this network out. Because if they did um, want to make it, uh, you know, more robust, they would have regional centers where you'd have at least like three regions across the country. Uh, to handle, you know, the different regions and, and handle all the traffic from those regions. So uh, in in efforts to keep costs down, they're obviously uh, centralizing operations for this. And this is un- an unfortunate uh, uh, circumstance of what happens when you do save money. Things are a lot more uh, critical and they, they can go down then. So uh, this is this isn't uh, this isn't really good because that was a, quite a long outage. Uh, yeah, absolutely. They said that they, you know, in, in their release on Thursday, that they quickly identified the problem. Well, it's not quick for those that, uh, you know, were using the device on Tuesday and saw it go down and didn't have it come back up for uh, nearly 36 hours. And one of the other issues that, that surfaced with this is that the 4G network, the LTE network, uh, once it goes down, it, it appears that the device itself will not you know, fall back on the 3G network, but in fact, fell back on the 1X network in uh, in the case of the Thunderbolt. And many uh, realized that if you were to go into some some you know you know programming menus, we'll call them, you could you could change the fallback menu down to the uh, the the EVDO network, the Rev A network. And so what it sounds like is if you're not being able to use uh, the 4G network, it will try and go down to. Uh, to something, but it will just fall or to the, uh, excuse me, the one X advanced network is the network it was trying to go down to. And if it can't get that, then it just goes down to the one X network in general. Um, and so this is what I was kind of saw it getting tied together was that the four G network and this, uh, this one X advanced SVDO network that we talk about with being able to do the simultaneous voice and data on Verizon. Those two seem to be tied together because that network wasn't picking up any of these users traffic either. You had to go in and, 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 you know, punch in some codes and get it to switch over to the 3G network. So that was kind of an interesting thing, too, that that network happened to go down as well. So maybe that's being run out of the same center as well. It's very possible because it is something new. And, uh, you know, you got to got to keep the cost down. And that's how you do it. But uh, hopefully they can build in some better, uh, better safeguards, because obviously something took their system down. And that's I mean, that's a very large outage. They have not mentioned the root cause. They've mentioned that they have identified the issue, but I, I don't think any of us heard what that was. Uh, and so I'm not sure what you know what did it. Uh, they also haven't mentioned anything about giving any sort of credits or anything like that for uh, you know for stuff that you may have you know cost cost for what you have paid for your network that you didn't get for that time period. But uh, I'm sure if you gave them a call, they'd give you some sort of credit. Maybe a dollar or two would be it. So. Don't know if that's worth the time to make the call, but if it is, uh, give it a shot. Sprint on Thursday posted its Q1 2011 earnings, reporting an increase in customers, through, though still an, a loss in net profits. The carrier added 1.1 million customers across all of its brands, including 846,000 prepaid and 310,000 postpaid customers. ARPU was up a dollar to 50 
$1,246, and revenue hit $8.3 billion, which is up 3% over last year. Churn was down from 2.54% last year to 1.8% in the quarter, though with all the good news, the carrier still posted a $439 million loss, losing $0.15 cents per diluted share. Also in the report, IDEN customers continue to drop, with the number down nearly a million for the quarter to $8.8 million between the both prepaid and postpaid combined. The loss accounts for nearly 10% of the users, as Sprint has said that it will eventually uh, sh- uh, bring down the network and use that spectrum for its voice services. So I, uh, I, I see for Sprint good, uh, good news in the numbers. Obviously, adding a million customers is great news. Uh, not nearly as many, though, as uh, AT&T and Verizon for the quarter, but that's okay. Still, nonetheless, I think it was good to see that they're you know, in the process of uh, you know, re- rebounding here, and we're seeing a number of quarters here of increased growth. Though I'm, this 10% uh, drop in IDEN customers is not real surprising, I guess. I, I assume that we're going to continue to see this over the next number of quarters, and eventually it'll just get phased out. Well, it's kind of unfortunate because Sprint did buy Nextel to, you know, corner the market on Direct Connect, but they've let it rot. They've they've never done really any sort of good advertising for Direct Connect or Instant Chat. And uh, unfortunately, as soon as users get away from it entirely, it's out of their mind. And since they haven't kept that up and then, of course, created a nice upgrade path to their uh, up and coming uh, EVDO Rev A based uh, chat service, it, nobody's going to subscribe to it because nobody wants it because everybody's completely forgotten about that capability. So it's uh, not going to probably go over that well. And they just kind of, uh, kind of let that, uh, really popular system just, you know, kind of let it, uh, stagnate. Dan Hesse is optimistic though. So the Sprint CEO said that they added 2 million wireless subscribers over the past two quarters in total. And even in spite of Verizon's iPhone launch and aggressive uh, competitive responses to the devices that they've had with uh, on their simple and unlimited plans, um, they are I, they are looking forward to the, the next couple of quarters here, and they are planning to maintain the momentum that they've had uh, throughout the uh, 2010 uh, year. And so we'll see how that works for them. Well, how'd you like a thousand dollars? T-Mobile offering a speed challenge, a thousand dollars to anyone this weekend that wants to try out a Samsung Galaxy S 4G, pit that against a Verizon or AT&T version of the iPhone. The rules are simple. You go into any of the participating Seattle T-Mobile retail locations and bring any model of iPhone, and you'll go head-to-head in a speed test with the Galaxy S 4G. If the iPhone wins, they'll give you $1,000. If the Galaxy S 4G wins, they'll offer you a $300 credit to trade in your iPhone for the Galaxy. I think this is a pretty unique one here. Obviously, they talk about participating stores, so I would imagine that these stores there are uh, you know, in areas that have very, very solid 4G coverage, probably have equipment in the stores that uh, provides a, a boost to the equipment that gives these uh, devices very, very strong 4G speeds. Uh, but uh, you gotta gotta give them give them credit where I'm sure they're gonna have a lot of people going in saying, oh yeah, my uh, my iPhone works real well here in Seattle. I'm sure I'm gonna be able to beat that speed. And yeah, I'm I, it's probably a little bit of a gimmick, but nonetheless, I think it's kind of cool. A little a little of a gimmick, yeah, it's a big gimmick, I'm sure. Okay, I love marketing. Sometimes this is great, it, great marketing. It is, it is. It's a it's a unique concept. I have to give them that. They also offered a new broadband data plan this week for tablets. So if you're on the T-Mobile network, you can now get a 2-gig plan 
giving you uh, $40 a month, two gigs of data, plus a 20% discount if you have a voice plan with T-Mobile. It's not yet available on the T-Mobile website, but they say it will be soon. Rogers Wireless in Canada announced this week it will be adding 150 megabit per second LTE service to four major cities in Canada. The uh, surreal sounding speeds will be coming to Ottawa, Montreal, Toronto, and Vancouver, including an upstream of 70 megabits per second. This is planned to roll out in 21 additional markets in 2012. Verizon, less than six months ago, entered the LTE game, though their speeds are maxing out at 12 megabit per second. At least that's what they advertise on the up and five on the down with their 500,000 subscribers. Well, thanks to our first sponsor of the show, Square Trade. Protect your investment through a special offer from Square Trade. 70% lower prices than in-store warranties. And also, if you visit squaretrade.com slash junkie, you'll get an additional 25% off your order. Squaretrade.com slash junkie. Click on Get a Warranty, choose your device, and you'll see your listener discount in your order summary for 25% off. Thanks to Square Trade for being a sponsor of the show. Well, Apple on Wednesday officially announced, officially, officially announced, the white iPhone 4 would be launching through most uh, retail channels starting on Thursday, April 28th. Along with the U.S., they also launched it in Australia, Canada, China, France, Germany, Switzerland, and the U.K., During an interview with Mobilized on Wednesday, Apple Senior Vice President Phil Schiller explained one of the multiple reasons causing the trouble in bringing the white iPhone to market. One of the reasons was that the white models needed more protection from the sun's UV rays. According to Schiller, it's not as simple as making something white. There's a lot more that goes into the material science of it, now how it holds up over time, but also how it works with all the sensors. One interesting thing about the white version is a slight change in the size. The model is roughly 2.2 excuse me, millimeters thicker than the black version that was released last year. While Apple's specification page shows the same 9.3 millimeter size as the original, Tippy was able to verify that cases are fitting a slight bit tighter than the nine in the 9.5 millimeter version than the original 9.3 millimeter version. And just a day after the release, Apple began pushing the shipment estimates for online orders out to five business days for many countries. Current inventory levels show that the device has been selling out in Apple retail stores as well as in most of the launch countries from last week. So that's pretty interesting that 10 months after the iPhone 4 got first announced, the white version comes out this week and it's still selling out. Whoops. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> no kidding, months. right? Whoops, how do you miss that deadline? Uh, that's, uh, that's pretty drastic, but I- I'm sure there's going to be many cases that won't fit that because of that extra thickness. Um, I, you have to just be careful um, if you have a case that you already have or a case you're thinking about getting. Um, I, I, I suppose it may not work with the iPhone 4 depending on its design, but that's kind of uh, disappointing. This leads me just to one other comment about this because, um, you know, Apple doesn't ever just do things arbitrarily. This really, really uh, indicates to me that no way are we going to see an early summer release of a new iPhone version because yeah. there's no way they would release a new phone and literally within, you know, under, you know, eight weeks time, have a new device come out. It's just not going to happen. So anybody who's uh, sitting back on Verizon waiting for a new iPhone, uh, boy, I, I don't think you're going to have anything less than three, four months before something's uh, new that comes out. And I, I think it may even be more like six months, more towards the Christmas time. Yeah, I think they're, uh, I think you're probably right. I think we've seen 
even even if they probably had this ready, I wonder if they would have put this out a couple of months ago because I'm I'm kind of looking at this as a a controlled timeline here now. They knew they couldn't get it out originally. They tried to get it out a couple of months later, and then once they couldn't get it out before the holiday season, they knew they were going to have the Verizon version in February, and then now this one here. So I, I think you're absolutely right. Continue to keep that buzz rolling. Well, we've seen that before, especially with um uh it, it was I think the first iPhone release. Well, then they 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 added higher capacity models later on in the year kind yes. of a mid mid cycle release uh they've done that with a few other products where they'll bump a capacity up and sell it kind of mid model cycle uh it's not real common for them to do but i think this i i, I you know i agree with you there it's definitely a spaced uh a spaced out release here and to, to 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 keep you know some interest going in in the product but uh it, it's definitely definitely indicates that uh we're not going to have a typical you know one year release cycle here for the next generation and, you know, the, the white version is very popular across places like Asia. I mean, Asia has just gone wild for white devices. And, and so this one is certainly going to sell well there as it has. We've seen a lot of cases, uh, you know, and, and other ways to switch out the backs to make the original version white. And so uh, they don't need to do that anymore. They can just go buy this one. And it's been going very well so far. Uh, and honestly, uh, it, it actually looks really nice. I, I, I've never been keen on white iPhones, but I think they did a, a very nice uh, job picking the, the particular white color and the, the way it's designed and implemented on the phone. It actually does look uh, very stylish. Yep. I'm, I'm actually impressed too. I don't think I would need to buy another one, but maybe if I w- had the option to buy one now, I, I would consider it just because it's, it's just, yeah, it's just a little bit better. Now, I know this would be the version that uh, my wife would buy because she has the 3GS in white, but uh, nonetheless, I still wonder about, uh, you know, 10 months. That just seems like a long time. Phil Schiller also, you know, we talk, we saw this was today or yesterday where he came out and said that there is no size difference. I don't know. How do you feel about that? It's obviously there. It's obvious there is a size difference. I mean, we've seen plenty of pictures of people holding straight edges up against the phones and you can clearly see the difference. I mean, they're, they're measuring it at 0.2 millimeters and yeah, that's not a lot of space, but it, it does make a big difference when you've got engineered cases that are, you know, really, really tight fitting that, that means it won't fit. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I'm not, uh, I'm not sure what, uh, what maybe it was just a, a couple, couple that, uh, he saw that, that weren't, uh, you know, a different size, but certainly the ones we've seen are, are, are thicker. There, there is no doubt there. Also, along with this, there were some rumors this week of Apple getting into a new service called the iCloud. Uh, they purchased the domain. Rumors have the cost at over $4 million for that, though we're not sure what this actually means yet. Is iOS 5 going to be a complete uh, revamp of the operating system to incorporate features such as cloud-based media or some sort of integration with cloud-based services? We're not really sure. Is this going to tie in with MobileMe or replace MobileMe? Not a lot is yet known, but there is a service out there now that is owned, or at least the domain that is owned by Apple called iCloud. More news on this as we get closer, I'm sure, to uh, the WWDC coming up in June. Verizon on Tuesday announced the HTC Droid Incredible 2 coming to its network with Android 2.2 on Wednesday, April 28th. The Incredible 2 has a 4-inch Super LCD display, 1 gigahertz Qualcomm Snapdragon processor, 8 megapixel rear-facing, and 1.3 megapixel front-facing camera, 
The device is available for $200 with a two-year commitment. And Sprint on Tuesday announced the Nexus S 4G would be available for purchase through all retail channels starting on Sunday, May 8th for $200 and a two-year contract. Nearly identical to the original Nexus S, the device is the first pure Google phone with Android 2.3 in the U.S. and will run on both the CDMA EVDO and WiMAX networks. It is powered by a 1 gigahertz Snapdragon processor and has a 4-inch Super AMOLED touchscreen. The S4G also features a 5-megapixel rear-facing camera and camcorder and front-facing VGA camera. Sony this week announced the S1 and S2 Android Honeycomb tablets. The S1 has a 9.4-inch screen and will feature a Tegra 2 processor and come with both Wi-Fi and 3G, 4G data connectivity. The S1 has an off-center-of-gravity design that is said to be easier to grip and more comfortable to hold, something like that of a magazine. The S2 has a folding form factor with two 5.5-inch screens that work either together or independently depending on the application. Both will integrate with Sony products such as the Bravia television line and PlayStation Network. Verizon on Tuesday announced the launch of the Casio G's One Commando, available April 28th for $200 and two-year agreement. It's got Android 2.2, a 5-megapixel camera, high-security encryption for corporate email, Wi-Fi B, G, and N, stereo Bluetooth, Verizon navigation, and mobile hotspot connectivity. Further, the device has some interesting features, making the Commando one of the most unique Android handsets available. That includes the meeting of military specifications on the 8... 810G for immersion, rain, shock, uh, dust, vibration, salt, fog, humidity, solar radiation, altitude, and high and low temperature storage. It also has a a compass that interacts with GPS to show nearby landmarks, a pedometer, adventure training software, trip memory for storing travel data, tide charts, thermometer that you can access local weather data at multiple locations, sun and moon rising and setting charts, and GPS-aided stargazing and constellation spotting. A very, very unique device. Complete industrial look to this thing. I'm sure this is going to be uh, you know, definitely one that it hits home for a lot of outdoorsy people because this is very, very cool. Uh, probably one of the worst names I've ever seen. The G's One Commando. Not exactly uh, kind of, you know, something that just rolls off the tongue. No, not at all. But I actually, I kind of like the look of it. They did a, uh, some nice little red accents to it to make it uh, look kind of interesting. So, you know, I, 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 I've, I, I do like to see some variation here in the black slab phones that we just have a, a absolute glut of right now. Even, even if it's kind of uh, funny looking, it's definitely something unique. Yeah, unique it is. I will give you that. It is certainly unique. And uh, having ruggedized version of a phone is a great option for many people. I mean, we really are lacking in that style of phone. And that's where Nextel really was. uh, I mean, most of their phones were ruggedized. So you could get basically any Nextel and and be be assured that it will last in in a rough environment. This one uh, appears to be 3G only, right? So we're going to only be seeing this one uh, on the uh, the CDMA eVideo network. Unfortunately, you won't be able to use this on LTE, but that's okay. If you're using this one uh, out and about, you probably will not have 4G connectivity there anywhere. And then finally, in devices, uh, Sprint announced on Thursday the availability of the Wi-Fi-only Zoom Honeycomb tablet starting on Sunday, May 8th for $600. The device will be available through all retail channels, including stores, online, and through 1-800-SPRINT-1. If you're looking for another way to support the cell phone junkie, you can join us on TCPJ Unlocked, our bi-monthly premium podcast for only $5 a month or $45 a year. You'll hear in-depth conversations about the latest in cellular issues, interviews with industry experts, and much more. 
Sign up is easy. Just visit thecellphonejunkie.com and click the link for TCPJ Unlocked. A big thank you to everyone that subscribes. AT&T and RIM on Thursday released BlackBerry OS version 6.0.0.526 for the Bold 9700 and Curve 3G. The update to BlackBerry OS 6 brings bug fixes and UI enhancements to both devices. The official build is available for direct download or through the software update feature in BlackBerry Desktop Manager. A long time coming for those that have the uh, Bold 9700 on AT&T. You finally have BlackBerry OS 6. TweetDeck on Monday released version 2.0 of its iPhone application, introducing a complete rebuild. The app lets users post to multiple accounts at the same time, access Facebook comments, posts, and status updates, unchanged or changed the message creation screen, and there's also now support for at replies and hashtag prediction. It also allows for a wide variety of column customization. TweetDeck 2.0 is available for free through the iPhone uh, through the iTunes app store for free. Motorola on Monday released a software update for the Droid Pro. The update brings the device to Android 2.2, bringing with it all the new features. It's available through verizonwireless.com. Quick on Tuesday updated its Android application to expand both functionality and platform interoperability. The update brings video calling over 3G, 4G, and Wi-Fi networks to both Android and iOS devices. Further, the new version allows sharing of videos via Facebook and Twitter and blocking of anonymous callers. The update is free. And Fring on Wednesday announced an update to its instant messaging application for the iOS. It adds group video calling for the iPhone. Uh, This is the first iOS app that will allow the feature, which gives chatting with up to three other friends over the service. An iPhone 4 or iPod Touch with a front-facing camera is needed. That app is available for free through iTunes as well. And Google on Thursday announced native video support for the Google Talk instant messaging application on Android smartphones. The new service will allow chats to other Android smartphones and tablets, plus those using the desktop version of Gmail. The app will work over Wi-Fi, 4G, and 3G networks and will be distributed as part of the Android 2.3.4 update coming first to the Nexus S. Google says it will come to other gingerbread devices later this year. So three different services offering three updates this week, uh, all of which uh, bring video calling to mobile devices. This has been something, of course, available through Skype uh, You know, on the computers. I guess Skype is probably the most uh, well-known uh, software package for video calling services, but all three of these really bring something to the attention of, uh, you know, to, to my attention this week, and that's that video calling over devices, handheld devices, certainly becoming more of a desire, or at least the software manufacturers think so, that people are going to be using this. I still am not getting into doing video calling over my phone. I'm not sure if it's just that I, I don't see a need for it or if I would just rather do it over the computer, but up until now, I, I just have not seen this. Maybe when it comes to uh, Gmail, I, I maybe, but I'm, I just don't know. I've had Skype video calling for you know a number of months now, and I still don't even really use that on the phone. No, it's it's something where I think we've talked about this before. You know, it's it's an inconvenient way to have a video call for one thing is holding your handset up in the air, because normally when you're out someplace, uh, you don't want to have a speakerphone conversation for one thing. I mean, think of how many places you really can have a speakerphone conversation. That's very, very little. So not only do you have to have a speakerphone conversation, but you have to hold the phone way in front of you uh, and at goofy angles to see the screen and for them to see you. It, it's just not uh, it's not a real conducive for, you know, day to day quick phone calls. Yeah, I'm not really getting into this one here. I saw a lot of people testing it out and talking about it. And I thought, well, that's kind of neat that it works now. But not something that I think I'll see myself using, at least not yet. I don't know. 
Maybe it's just me. Google Thursday announced Android 2.3.4 would be available for the Nexus S as an over-the-air update in the next few days. They have posted the file available for download so you can manually update your device's OS. The update brings enhancements to the phone, including the ability to video chat like we just mentioned through Google Talk. Google on Wednesday released the official Google Docs application for the Android platform. That app, allowing for access to all of your files in the web-based service, it now lets you filter, search, star, rename, edit, read, or upload to Docs directly from your phone. One new feature is that the app has the ability to take a photo of a document and have it scanned and translated as editable text in a Google document. The download is free and available in the Android market. And AT&T Friday issued two software updates for the Motorola Atrix 4G, providing bug fixes and performance enhancements. The updates now allow uh, for HSUPA capabilities, bringing faster uploads to the device. The carrier has also announced an update for the HTC Inspire 4G, enabling HSUPA as well. So both of those devices, which had the capability built into them in the hardware, but not in the software, have now been updated. So you can now get faster uploads a la the iPhone 4. And finally, as we discussed last week, HBO officially released the application for both Android and the iOS on Friday. The HBO Go app allows users to stream all of HBO's original content to their Android and iOS smartphones. The app is free, works over Wi-Fi or 3G, and is available on the iPhone 3GS, iPhone 4, iPad, and Android devices with version 2.1 or later. We've got some questions this week. First one comes from Mitch, and he says, hey guys, in regards to the GPS tracking on iPhones, if the iPhone is set to airplane mode, do you know if they can still tell where you are in that mode? By the way, I'm a member of your Unlocked show, and the content is great. Thanks, Mitch. Well, as we talked about at the top of the show, Apple revealed uh, this week that it should not be happening, that you would get tracked while uh, you're using the device in uh, airplane mode. Um, But uh, it seems that some people are reporting this happening. And and really what this is, is that the phone you know, grabbing the information from uh, maybe Wi-Fi hotspots, though I can, I'm not really sure um, what's going on there. No, I, I can't imagine that because, you know, the, the point of having an airplane mode is to have all the radios off and, and maybe the GPS would be receiving because that is a receiver and it's a fairly, fairly low power. But uh, I, I don't think so because your cell radio will be off and your Wi-Fi will be off, which are two uh, major ways to get your location data uh, that's, you know, not as accurate as the GPS. But I, I, I don't think so. I really think you'd be probably pretty good with in airplane mode. Well, and this is where I'm where I'm saying maybe maybe the Wi-Fi side of it is is tracking the location. You know, if if you have because here's the thing, you can turn off you can turn off all the radios right through flipping that airplane mode switch. But as soon as you turn back on Wi-Fi, that's what I'm wondering if that's what people well, then are doing. it would. Yeah, of course. If you have just Wi-Fi on, then you would your location again will be marked in that database because you know the the, the list of Wi-Fi. Um, you know, cross references for locations that Apple uses, you know, like if you load up Google Maps with a Wi-Fi iPad, it shows right where you're at. So um, in that case, yes, I, I guess I'm just trying to figure out, you know, what it could be would be happening that was causing people to to have their location still tracked when they were doing this. Uh, obviously, if you're, you know, hurtling yourself across the, the country in, the, in a plane or something like that, you're not going to find that your your location is being tracked across that that whole distance because the phone is not number one it's none of the radios are on um you know so that 
I guess the answer, I guess the answer really is no, Mitch. <laughs> if you're, if you have all the radios off, no, they are not tracking you. Uh, but if you were to happen to turn on something like Wi-Fi, then yes, you would see that. Uh, so uh, anyway, but nonetheless, this is should be no issue here. Come a couple of weeks when they have the next update come out for this, and then you should be good to go. Just make sure you update the software on the device once they provide the update. Next is a question from Jay. He says, hi, I'm looking to purchase a cell phone repeater and you folks are the only people on the web who have reviewed the YX545 and the Wilson DT. Although the latest DT solutions appear to have a different desktop antenna, do you have a strong recommendation either way? I've read the both reviews and it was difficult to discern which is better. In my case, I have a two places where I need one. Relatively simple. The signal in my house is poor, but if I walk outside, it's fine more complex. I want to enable coverage in a remote house in New Hampshire. Signals about one bar outside the house uh, when I walk to a specific location. Do you have any suggestions on which option would be better? I'm currently leaning towards Wilson because it appears they have a more robust antenna design, and I think they actually have amplification built into the antenna and base station, while the YX appears to be only amplification at the base station. Thanks, uh, Jay. Uh, Okay, so Jay, uh, strong recommendations for you, uh, no. But I would say that uh, either one is going to give you a a couple of rooms of enhanced service inside your house, as long as the service outside is okay. So in the simple scenario that you talk about, if you can get your antenna for either one up to your roof uh, and then run it down inside, you're going to be able to provide approximately I I say a couple hundred square feet. They say you know a thousand plus square feet. But really look for it to be a couple of rooms, especially if the service is fair outside. It's going to be then fair inside. So it's going to enhance it, but it's only going to enhance it. Um, you know it to to a certain extent it's not you know let's say you're outside and you've got two bars of service when it amplifies it inside the house it's still going to be probably two bars of service and it's only going to be that for just a couple of rooms around you yeah and in the construction of the rooms really do make a difference if it's plaster and lathe it's going to be a lot less if it's just drywall with the you know fairly thin studs without a lot of electrical and plumbing in the walls it'll be farther uh levels you know if it's floors up and down that makes a a difference because that really won't work as well straight across so there's there are a lot of factors that uh that fall into that uh you know the the effects of the the range that you get inside so you're asking though you said you're leaning towards the wilson and you're asking which one we would go towards i uh, with those devices, I mean, those are both like the $300 style devices and I, they're, they're kind of at the low end of, of, you know, the, the stuff that's out there. So I, I, I can't say that either one specifically is, is going to perform, you know, better or worse for you. I've had uh, relatively good success for what they say they do with both of them. So I, um, I would say either one, you're probably going to be okay for that first scenario. So, of course, for something uh, that's the more complex scenario, um, there's some much better units available, but they are going to cost you. And uh, I, I know that you've got the recommendation there. I do. And it's the Wilson AG Pro 75. It's going to be about $1,000 for the device itself. Plus, depending on what sort of cables and antennas you need, you're going to push another couple hundred dollars after that. But I got to tell you, this is the real deal. This one has got a, a very strong uh, dual band Yagi antenna that you install on a pole on your roof and you'll point it towards the nearest cell site. Um, that's going to give you a, a very, very nice gain on this antenna. And then using the 75 decibel amplifier for both the 850, i.e. probably Verizon service in your area, and then also the 1900 bands, so all the other ones, it will amplify that signal and rebroadcast it through the, uh, the internal antenna. Uh, this one I am seeing a couple thousand square feet 
of very, very solid coverage with. I have this one installed, uh, the test unit that I'm using installed in a place that has zero reception for all of the carriers, and it works amazingly well. This is the best best, best, best amplifier that I've ever used, the Wilson AG Pro 75. Highly recommend this one uh, just to try this one out. And uh, for a situation where you've got very, very poor service in the house, like I said, stick a a pole on the roof with the antenna right on top of it, pointing in the direction of the towers. And, uh, you know, you should find yourself uh, with some enhanced service. Yeah, and that's really the way to go. I mean, if you are in a really poor area, and you, you know, of course, you can uh, you know afford the situation here with with this. Uh, it's obviously something to work across all carriers and work into the future for for years to come. So, uh, yet yeah, is it is a hefty expense, but of course, uh, you'll have much better battery life inside the house too, which of course is kind of a nice uh, side effect. Yes, absolutely. And here's the reality with all of these: it, you're gonna you're gonna get what you pay for. These products work. I, I will tell you that I've used a ton of them. I, I don't know why, but I've really gotten into these just because I think they're kind of neat. Actually, I do know why. It's because my service in my office is horrible. So I've wanted to try out a number of different ones. And um, I, I would say any of the ones that are sub $500 are going to provide you you know, decent coverage in one to two rooms, depending on how many walls and, of course, the construction of your house, if you have decent service outside of your house. You, you really need to get into these higher level ones, like I said, you know, like this, the AG Pro 75 from Wilson. This is going to be a good one. There's a number of other ones that are like it as well, but they, uh, they will provide you with, uh, with probably the enhanced service that you're looking for in a troubled area. And, of course, one last thing, of course, always take a look at femtocells. If you've got internet service at your house, you take a look at, you know, possibly AT&T Sprint or Verizon, they all offer the femtocell solutions that plug into your wireless connection and would then offer you, uh, you know, a, an enhanced area of service using that Wi-Fi service to provide uh, enhanced coverage on the cellular level. Level well, well, not necessarily Wi-Fi, but your home internet. If you have a high high speed broadband connection, uh, you wouldn't they wouldn't connect to your wireless network, but it'd be your your probably your Ethernet near your router is where you'd put those. Um, but yeah, it, it's, it's one thing if, it, you know, for me in, in my situation here, if it'd be like, uh, spending $500 for the one or two rooms of coverage versus a thousand for a bunch, you know, for the whole room, if you've got really no service outside, it, I, I would really probably lean towards the thousand dollar solution because, uh, I mean, why spend 500 to get something that's not going to work that great, you know, depending on the situation. It, yeah, again, that's the whole thing is it depends on your situation, how much, you know, if you're, if you're someone who's see, I like the YX and the you know the Wilsons out there just because they they, they offer something like a, like a basement. They would give you good service down in a basement. Maybe you've got great you know service on you know the the entire main floor of your house, but you've got a downstairs area that is very very difficult to cover. These are great because you can uh, you can run the cable up and install the antenna outside. Let's say on your deck or something like that. Run the cable down and install the amplification antenna you know in the the basement downstairs, and it covers that couple hundred square feet just fine. At least enough to. Get give you enough coverage to make and receive phone calls. And, and that's where these things really, really do their job. And I've, you know, I've, I'm kind of the, in a similar situation where I've got a, an office space that's just a couple hundred square feet that is kind of buried underneath a, a couple levels of, of other offices. And, uh, you know, it's, I've got an elevator behind me and stuff like that. And so it's, it, it is a really, really hard area for uh, everyone except for Verizon. And so I've been able to try out a number of these things. And, and for the most part, they work, uh, they work fairly well for giving me that like single room coverage. Uh, if I was trying to cover the entire office, though, I would have, uh, I would have some problems. But, uh, you know, try, uh, try, you know, looking at what you think you're going to need. Hopefully, 
uh, that has given you, Jay, some thoughts on where we think you should go and, and, you know, try them out. And of course, talk to the manufacturers about the return policies, because if something doesn't work, don't keep it. Um, do a temporary install, try it out before you start, uh, you know, drilling into walls and roofs and stuff like that, and make sure that it's going to work for you. And uh, so that you are you know doing what you need to do uh, when you permanently install it. And then we've got a question from Vicky. And she says, for a number of years, we've had Verizon as our wireless phone carrier. Nearly two years ago, we switched to AT&T because of the iPhone. We visit Western North Carolina a lot during the summer. In our first trip, we discovered that we do not get a signal once we leave the outskirts of Hendersonville, North Carolina, uh, until well beyond where we stay. There's no problem until we until we have a car trouble or something, which we did last spring. No fun without any cell service in an emergency. Does AT&T plan to extend service to Western North Carolina, including the Jeter Mountain area? As I mentioned, we had Verizon years ago and we had no problems whatsoever. In fact, we can go back to the early 90s when we used our Metro mobile phone to get service. So what gives? There are towers in the area. Could AT&T please do something about this? Thanks, Vicky. Well, Vicky, a couple of issues uh, at hand here. Number one, um, AT&T potentially could be willing to and planning to expand their network. You can obviously discuss it with them and, and talk to them about what their plans are to expand uh, into the uh, into the areas of G- the Jeter Mountain area, as you mentioned. But that doesn't mean that they're going to necessarily do that tomorrow. You know, if they say yes, we have plans to do that, that could be you know a few years off. So uh, don't uh, don't hold your breath with that. Um, the short answer for what I would recommend that you do is to switch carriers. Um, it's never a smart decision to move to a carrier just because of a phone uh, if your service is going to suffer. Uh, we've talked about it on the show, uh, not in a while though, is what I call my 90% rule. Um, use wherever you use your phone um, is, is you know, for, at your home, at your office, in your commute. Uh, for you, it would be at this, uh, this, this house that you have in this area. Uh, that's 90% of the places that you spend your time. And if your phone doesn't work in those, you're not going to be happy. So make sure that whatever service that you have, it works in the places that you spend most of your time. Even if you have to go with a different type of phone, uh, it, it, it's going to make your life more much, much better. And just because there's a tower in the area doesn't mean that AT&T is on that tower, uh, especially in a lot of rural areas. The the services that were there from the old cellular days are really the only services that have been transitioned over to digital and some of the other carriers like T-Mobile uh, and uh, maybe even Sprint in this case, though I'm not positive, would not work in that area as well. So if you know Verizon works, I would absolutely make the switch, move over to them. Even if you have to pay a portion of a termination fee, do it just to make yourself happy. Yeah, if they've been on uh, AT&T for two years, maybe they're just getting out of contract here. That's uh, at least it's possible if they didn't use a, an early upgrade, I suppose, for an, a, the newer version of the iPhone. But now that Verizon has the iPhone, uh, you know, Verizon's uh, definitely uh, a good choice to go with. And, and pretty much for, for most of the country, Verizon has uh, very good rural coverage, uh, you know, even with EVDO basically in the absolute sticks i i know where i go in nowhere in south dakota and rural minnesota and wisconsin there's uh plenty of verizon coverage almost everywhere uh that i go yeah and i i think that's a that's a great way to to look at it is if you if you are someone who's traveling uh, you know a lot of times to areas that have one particular carrier that works the best um you know as you mentioned in in these areas of the midwest it's probably similar down in that area too um You've already, you know, figured out that AT&T is, is not working there. That means that T-Mobile is not working there either because there would be likely a roaming agreement of some sort. Uh, or if there was a regional carrier in that area, they would have some sort of agreement with them. So th- my guess is that there's no 
GSM service, which is the, of course, the technology being used by AT&T and T-Mobile. So just throw either one of those carriers out and uh, move on. Uh, there's, unless there's a big need for it, if there's a, a dense population center there, uh, like I said, don't look for it to happen anytime soon, even though they may say they have plans for it. Uh, unless you see, you know, trucks moving dirt, which probably is unlikely, <laughs> you're not going to see more service there. Anyway, if you have any questions or comments for us, you can get in touch with us. Send us an email to questions at thecellphonejunkie.com or give us a call, 206-203-3734, or send us a text message to 775-773-TCPJ. That's 8275. You can follow us on Facebook at facebook.com slash thecellphonejunkie or on Twitter at twitter.com slash cellphonejunkie. So, Joey, thank you very much, as always, for your time. We'll talk to you later. Thanks for listening. For more information about the stories you've just heard, visit us at thecellphonejunkie.com.